0: The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we also have compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so with does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, The Bible says Jesus is the author and the finisher of your faith. It means that he's the beginning and the ending of your faith. When you begin to talk about salvation, when you begin to talk about uh, just being saved and living a saved life, the Bible says that Jesus is the beginner and the ender of our faith. So when we talk about salvation, we start with Jesus, we continue with Jesus, and we end with Jesus. He's the author and finisher. He's the one that instituted this faith called Christianity. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising not despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The Bible says that who for the joy was set before him, the joy that was set before him. We all know that The crucifixion wasn't a joyful thing. We all know that what they did to Jesus at the cross, that wasn't joyful. But you know why the scripture says for the joy that was set before him? It's saying he knew what was the outcome for what he did. So he didn't worry about, he didn't look at what he had to go through. He didn't pay a whole lot of attention to what he had to do. He put his eyes on the results of what will happen when he do what he did. And I think that's a great lesson for all of us to understand that I can't worry about the immediacy of what I got to go through. Because what's at the end for me is so much greater than what's right now facing me. And so Jesus called what he had to go through, joy. Because what he was doing, it gave him joy. It's like, as we can make the the, the, the smallest analogy to say, it's like a woman being pregnant with a baby. When she's getting close to delivery, the, the her stomach gets bigger, the baby grows bigger, she she's more uncomfortable. But At the end of the pregnancy, when it's time to deliver, when the baby is now born, there's the joy that she had inside of her. But it wasn't joyful, right, when you were carrying that baby. It wasn't so easy when you had to be doing this and you needed something to sit on and you needed some ice and you was always tired and and you were just breathing heavy and you wanted something special to eat all the time. It wasn't joy then. But when you delivered that baby, that baby brought you a whole lot of joy. So what was in you was joy, but what you was going through was a whole lot of stuff. Jesus called it joy, even though he had to go through. Verse 3 says, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. The Bible is trying to get us to understand some things. It's trying to get us to understand Jesus said sinners did him wrong. His own creation did him wrong. The Bible says we need to think about what Jesus went through to save us when we are now struggling, when we're now challenged, when we're now going through some things. He said, think about what I had to put up with. Because what you're going through was not worse than me. The people, the very people that I came to earth, that I love, that I created, they were the ones that treated me the way they treated me. But I still went through. I still pressed my way through. And so when we begin to think about what we're struggling with, what we're challenged with, I, I, I feel like sometimes we think we have a good excuse For saying, I just can't. I feel like we we think we have a good excuse sometimes for not doing what we need to do. But Jesus says, you look at what He went through. And if you are not going through that, then you gotta press your way. You gotta push through. You gotta do what you gotta do. We're living in a time where emotions are just so important to us and and, and our comfortability is so important to us. And and, and we're not thinking long-term, we're thinking short-term. I need it to be this way right now. And because we're thinking short-term, we're killing ourselves because we're making short-term decisions that is destroying us over the long haul. We're making immediate decisions, and, and it might be good for the moment, but long-term, you're looking and say, oh, my goodness, why did I do that? And now we're in a long-term situation wondering, how did I end up here? Because you made a short-term decision that brought comfort to you, that brought you what you desired, and now you're caught up in it, and you're wondering, what did I do? But if it's not something that Jesus went through, you should press through. Because you didn't go through what Jesus go through. And Jesus is asking you, will you go through? Verse 4 says, ye have not resisted unto blood striving against sin. That's heavy. If what you're going through didn't cost you your blood, you better go through. You better go through. We need to think about the stuff that we're challenged with and realize is this unto death? Is this unto blood? Or is it just my comfort? Or is it just what I want? Or is it just how I feel? I'm not telling you Jesus don't want you to be happy. I'm not telling you Jesus don't want you to enjoy your life. But I'm just telling you there's some things in life that we've made bad decisions on that now we face. And we're trying to figure out how to resolve it. And maybe the way you're going to resolve it will only please you. And Jesus is saying, how else was I going to resolve your sin? It wasn't pleasing. And remember what he said. If this cup could pass from me. So don't think that he wanted to do it. His flesh didn't want to do it. He, as God, knew he had to do it. But the flesh didn't want to do it. So he wanted a way to out, but he couldn't get out. He said, nevertheless, how many of us have a situation where we need to try to figure out how to get out? Or feel better about it. Or make it work. And it's not working, and we're we're starting to contemplate, figure out a way to make me feel better. That's all that's really coming down to make you feel better. Father, in the name of Jesus, hallelujah, I've sensed your presence, your glory, your power. I ask, Lord God, that you speak as you will through me. Use me as your conduit. Speak to the heart of the people that are gathered here. Let your word go out into their heart and accomplish your purpose and will. That change will come into their life and that the power of God will overshadow them and that they will experience something that they've never experienced before in their life with you. We thank you and praise you and we ask you these things in Jesus' name. Somebody say in Jesus' name? You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing. Jesus has shown us how important it is to endure. And unfortunately, what we are challenged with in our world today is it's is, is hard for us to deal with hard things. It's hard for us to deal with hard things. You hear sometimes about the war that's going on over the Middle East. And a lot of times when we as U.S. Uh, soldiers go into the Middle East, uh, we're, we're not as good and as efficient as the Middle Easterners. And what they're trying to tell us is the people in the Middle East, they, they, they train really hard. They, 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 they didn't have it easy. And so they learn to deal with hardness. They, they learn to deal with hard times. But because life is so good in the U.S. and things are so easy in the U.S., we, we, we tend to not train as hard. We tend to not take things as serious. Somebody say, toughen up. Tell your neighbor, toughen up. We, we got to get tougher than we are. And I don't mean physical toughen up. I just mean just man up and woman up because we got to make this thing through. And God is not trying to raise up no Christian that's just soft and mamsy-pamsy people. He's trying to raise up some Christian people that are strong, some Christian people that will stand the test of time, some, some Christian people that will say, for God I live and for God I die. Some Christian people will say, though they slay me, yet will I trust God. He's trying to raise up some real Christian people because it's only the strong that will survive in this end time. If you're just going through the motion as a Christian, you won't make it through to the end. If you're just making it, you won't make it. God is looking for a people that's strong. You don't have to have a mean look on your face to be strong. You know, we like to, I'm strong. Mess with me. You just mean people that just know their God. The Bible says they that know their God shall be strong and will do exploits. If we want to see the power of God manifest in our life, we got to know who Jesus is and knowing who he is makes us strong. And when we get strong then we can do the things that we need to do, you will do things that you never thought you could do if you really get to know your God. Hebrews talks about in chapter 11, before we got down to verse 12, it dealt with the, 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 what they call the, the hall of fame of faith, the people that were faithful. It, it talks about those, it outlined for us the men and women of God who obtained a good report through faith. So if you read all of Hebrews chapter 11, you will see it says by faith and and through faith. And it's telling you how these men and women of God obtain a good report through faith. But hear this. If they obtain a good report, then so can you. Listen, Bible people are no special people. Bible people don't have, the people in the Bible don't have something that you don't have. They're humans just like you and me. They, they, they went through things just like you and me. They, they faced challenges and they, they, had, they, they had frustration and things happening in their life just like you and me. Sometimes I think we put Bible people as different characters. Like they, they have something different from us. Oh, no, they don't. They had the same passions like we did. They had the same desires like we did. But they still made it through. They're no different than us. And so if they obtain a good report through faith, then so can you and so can me. We can obtain a good report through faith. Now what I do understand is they had to go through some stuff to obtain that good report. They had to go through some stuff to endure and to obtain a good report. And so if you are going to demonstrate faith, you're going to have to go through some stuff. How do you know you have faith if you don't go through anything? How do you know you possess faith when you don't go through anything? We're going through stuff not because it's just 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 what happens, but it's just a part of being a Christian. Because living in the kingdom of God, you're going against the grain of the world. That's why it's hard. Remember one morning I was driving to church. About 7.30, well, probably not that early, probably about 8.30, I saw the soccer field and people out ready, getting warmed up and getting trained, ready to kick some ball, 8.30 on a Sunday morning. And I thought, I said, man, we're going to have a lot of people late to church today. But these people are nicer on time for the soccer game. They're trained, they're getting warmed up. How does that work? That they can get to the soccer game nice and early and prepare themselves, do their stretches, do their exercise, kick the ball around, get warmed up, and, 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 and then the game start later on. And then I'm going to get to church and people are going to be coming in late to church. How does that work? Right away the Holy Ghost quicken and says, because they are going with the tide of the world. They can do it. They can do it. Trust me, I know it don't seem likely, but the spirit that's in the world, if you're doing what the world wants the spirit that's in the world, if you're doing what the world wants, then you're flowing with the spirit that's in the world. It makes things easy. That's why it's easy to do wrong. It's not because uh, you're just a wrongdoer. It's easy to do wrong because that's what the world is doing. And so you're going with the tide. Try swimming against the tides in the ocean. You're going to have a hard time doing it. But if you swim with the tide, you can almost float. And it just takes you in the direction it's going. We got to realize that if we're going to be Christians and obtain a good report through faith, uh, then we're going to have to go against the tides. Uh, We're going to have to go through some stuff. We will not make it to heaven real comfortable and real easy, not in this world. But I do have a secret weapon to that, though. Thought about this someday. This don't have nothing to do with the Holy Ghost. This is just me. I figured that if we will really get busy and start being a witness for Christ and start winning everybody to Jesus, it'll make it a whole lot easier to live in this world. I thought about that. I said, man, can you imagine if the people on my job <laughs> mess with Robert and, um, and, and Tony? Robert and Tony be telling everybody at their job about Christ. I'm glad they, they, they got some, some push, some clout at the job because, boy, they talking the talk down there. They might. Don't get in trouble at the job. But anyway, they, they talk to everybody about Jesus at the job. So just think if everybody at their job come to church and try to live for God, it makes it easy to work. And if we do that at work, we do it in our schools, we do it in our community, Even if people are not completely sold out, listen to this, this is just my theory. Even if people are not completely sold out, we can get along better. I don't have to struggle as much because you know where I stand and you won't give me a hard time. But if we don't get people to know who Jesus is, it makes it so much harder to walk this walk. So we're going to have faith. We're going to have to go through some stuff. We cannot make it without going through some stuff. We have to to push through. We have to just say, I got to make it through. I got to do what I have to do in order to accomplish God's purpose in my life. We must go through some things to prove that we have faith. We must acquire faith. The Bible says, Chanel, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So, if it's impossible to please God without faith, then I need to get faith. Because if I can't please God, I can't go to heaven. Right? If people don't obey your rules, they can't come in your house. Ooh, y'all y'all understood that quickly. <laughs> She's nodding her head like, Yeah, that's right. You can't come in my house with no junk. Well, how we want to go in God's house with junk? We can't go into God's house any kind of way we want. We have to hear what God has to say, and we have to obey him in order to go where he is. And so without faith, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we must acquire faith. We must possess faith. We must have faith. For those of you that have never heard this, my church, I'm going to wear them out with this, but it's okay because I know what I'm doing. Faith is not what what Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, that's not faith. That's not faith. That's not faith. That's not faith. faith. It's giving you a little description of faith. Faith. Here's what faith is. Faith is the knowledge of the deity and humanity of Jesus Christ. Faith is the knowledge of the deity and And humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, faith is when you have clear knowledge and understanding of who God really is. Faith is the knowledge of the deity and humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know it's not comfortable for you because it's not what you've been hearing all your life. But I'm telling you, if you ever understand and get a hold of that as faith, then your life will be changed. Because if, if you think faith is just believing, you're crazy. Why do you think Abraham made it through? Why do you think all those people we read about in Hebrews, why do you think they made it? What do what, what what you think make them make it? Because they just believe? It's a lot of things I'm sure they believe that didn't happen. Abraham thought Pharaoh was going to kill his wife Sarah. He believed it, so he lied. And God called him father of faith. He lied. Oh, Sarah, my sister, because he was worried about Pharaoh killing Sarah. So it wasn't belief that made Abraham kept going. It wasn't belief that kept Elijah going. It wasn't belief that kept Rahab working with the men of God. It was not belief that Abel gave the the the, the better offering. It was not belief. It was their knowledge of who God is. When you know who God is, check it out. Can you please a God that you don't know? Can you please a God that you don't know? So, you have to know him to please him. You can believe all you want. If you don't know him, you can't please him because you won't know what he wants. So faith is to know who God is, that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, that Jesus is the name of the invisible God who became visible. There's no Trinity. There is no Trinity. There is no three separate, co-equal gods. It's one God that says in the beginning, God created. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was. There was one God that did things as the invisible being. But he didn't remain invisible. When the fullness of time had come he came through the womb of the woman. Why did he go through all that? Because there was no other legal way to come to earth but by the birth. We talked about that last week. You missed that. You should come to church and hear that. Go on the web. That Other than Adam and Eve, everybody else was born into this world. How was Jesus, how was God going to come into this world? Mm -hmm. Was he going to fall out of the sky? Because if he did, he would have been an illegal alien. I don't care if he was the creator. That's what's wonderful about our God. He established the rules and followed them. He didn't establish the rules and break them. He didn't say, well, I'm God, so this is just what I'm going to do. He didn't do that. Once he established the rules of what we need to live by, he obeyed them. And that's why he came to the Virgin Mary, because he had no choice. That's the only way to arrive legally in this world. So to start to worry about how can the almighty God be born? How can, because he had to, he didn't have a choice. The only way he could have came to earth, one God. One lord, one faith, one baptism. One father of us all, in us all, through us all is one God. We do not struggle alone. Somebody say we don't we do not struggle alone. So stop feeling depressed. Stop getting beside yourself like, ah, you know, I'm just going through. I know you're going through. But before I even get to the disciples, I'm going through too. But I choose not to pay no attention because I know who my God is. That's my mindset. In case you want to get a little bit into my mind, here's my mind. I go through just like the next person go through. But I just act like it's not happening. Because I know who Jesus is. I just say, Lord, whatever I can control, you already told me what I'm supposed to be able to do. Whatever I can control, I will control. And whatever I can't, you control it. Come on, somebody, help me this morning. Whatever you can't control, just say, Jesus, you control that because I can't control it. But what I can control is I need to repent. I can't control that. What I can't control is I need to obey God. What I can't control is I need to pray. What I can't control is I need to give. What I can't control, I need to worship the Lord. I can control praising the Lord. I can control exalting him. That's in my control. And that's that's why I praise him. That's why I worship him. That's why I exalt him. Because it's in my control. I can't expect him to do what he does. And I don't do what I'm supposed to do. We want God to do what he's supposed to do. But we won't do what we're supposed to do. That's the frustration that we're probably dealing with the most. Because we're asking God to do what he's supposed to do. And then we won't do what, what kind listen. Where are my kids at? Let me give them this one. Embarrass them in church today. I'm talking to my kids. If y'all can get something out of it, y'all can get something out of it. All my kids in the church today. Relationship is not one-sided. I'm talking to my kids. Y'all can amen if you want, but I'm, just, I'm talking to my kids. I can't feed you, put a roof over your head, do everything I'm supposed to do as a parent, and y'all don't do nothing else. That's one-sided. It's one-sided for me to say, here, here, for me to do, do, and I can't get you to do nothing. When it's time to get you to do something in the yard, I can't find you. When it's time to get you, I can't find We can't do that. Relationship cannot be one-sided. And it's in every situation relationship can't be one-sided. I love my children. I do whatever I have to do for them, and they take advantage of me too. My wife get mad all the time. Why are you so soft with them? I love my children. I don't want to nap to them. But they play me. They play me all the time. Yeah, daddy ain't going to put us out. He just be talking. They play me all the time. I think one day I'm going to snap, though. <laughs> I think one day I'm going to snap because that's the that's the last thing I've been saying. I say, they think this relationship is one-sided. When I need them to do something, they gotta be twisting their face. If they if they end up doing it, it's like they don't even I don't even I want them to cut my grass sometime and I don't even want them to cut it back, because if they start cutting my grass, they're gonna handle my lawnmower wrong and something gonna happen. I'm gonna come home, it's gonna be in a corner, and somebody gonna say, Dad, something's wrong with your lawnmower. Then I'm gonna get over there and I gotta take out the grass and then and then you know push the thing again and start and it starts. I said, It's not wrong with my lawnmower. They <laughs> they just, there you go, they don't want to do it because they're making a relationship one way. Dad do everything and we just good. Well, we do that with our God. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm getting some payback. We We do that with our God. We want him to do everything he needs to do, but we don't do anything we need to do. We want him to bless us, but we're not being a blessing to him. How do we be a blessing to him? By showing forth his glory in our life, loving people, caring about people, doing the things that give him the honor and the glory. We need to do those things, but how much do we do it? We, relationship can't be one-sided. You go, in, you go in, the marital relationship, it's the same thing. We can't have the woman doing everything and the brother just come home and say, we're my food. brothers. Can I get an amen, bro? Bro ain't got time to be doing a whole lot so you Just come home. where my food? Or or, or maybe he'll do it nice and say, you cook? <laughs> oh, how about we come home, bro, and say, girl, let's go out to eat. I'll take you out. Spend some money, let you eat something real good. We can't have one-sided relationships, and I believe one-sided relationships are killing us. And then here's the other thing that we do with relationship. We measure how much we're doing. Usually in a relationship, one person will end up doing a little bit more, usually. It's usually not 50-50. But what's the key? If both of you love each other, you're not worrying about and measuring how much you do and how much the other one do. You can't measure it somebody, somebody in the relationship. I remember one time, one young lady in church came to me and says, I can't take it anymore. I'm done. I'm leaving and blah, 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 blah. I said, I hear you and you're right about everything you said. But let me tell you this. You are the driver in the relationship. When you stop driving, the relationship ends. Is that what you want? Because, because, because you're measuring how much you do. I do this, I do this, I do this, he never do this, he never do this, and I'm always doing this. I said, I understand it, you're right, you know, you need to sit down and kind of discuss some things you would like to see him start doing, but if you're just frustrated, you're ready to give up, the relationship will be done, so if you're ready to make it done, then okay, I hear you. You know me, I don't tell nobody what to do when it comes down to their relationship, I just hear him out and tell them what God word said and then just leave it like that. Now, I'm not telling you what to do with relationship, I don't mess with that, because Faith don't operate where there's a whole lot of emotion. All of us have some areas in our life where we become emotional, which means we become unreasonable. Faith don't work then. Abraham thought his wife was the finest thing living. He loved her so much. He's called a father of faith, but Sarah made him unreasonable. Me and you, if you're in love, your spouse is going to make you unreasonable because you love them so much. Your kids going to make you unreasonable. I get all crazy with my kids because I love them, so I get unreasonable. I don't want to hear nothing. That's crazy. No. So so we get unreasonable with certain things in our life. For some of you, it might be your job. You love your job so much. You've been working so long there, and you're doing a good job. You've got a good reputation, so you become unreasonable. i got to go to work. I don't know what you're doing, but i got to go to work. But there's things in our life that make us unreasonable and faith don't work. But we can't live like that. Relationship, two ways. Somebody say relationship is two ways. And somebody will always do more than the next person. Don't don't count what you're doing. Don't measure it. Be good at what you're good at and let the other person be good at what they're good at. Be good at what you're good at. You know, I I would hear some people that know no know, know my, my my life. Me and you are like this. I don't have a problem cooking for my wife. I don't have a problem cooking a lot, but you she need to be cooking more. Nah, I like cooking. I'm not mad. I mean, if, if somebody want to have the traditional home where the wife is always cooking and always doing, that's cool. But I like cooking. You know what I mean? I know you like making some curry goat. You know what I'm saying? I like making jerk chicken. I like to get on the grill, you know. When when the holiday time comes, I want to cook when holidays come. So, in that area, we're a little different, you know. We, you know, me and you got that part down pat. We're not running around putting demands on our wife to cook because, quote unquote, life say the woman's supposed to be doing all the cooking. No, do what you're good at, and let she do what she's good at. When you're in relationship, let. Let God do what he's good at, and you do what you're good at. God can work miracles. Let him do the miracles. But you can pray, so go ahead and pray. I didn't tell you my title today, but Barry had the title up there, right? The title was, Let Us Lay Aside Every Weight. Let Us Lay Aside Every weight. I'm getting to it. We do not struggle alone. We're not the first to struggle. The believers in the Bible struggled a whole lot too. So, struggling is not something new as Christians. Folks, we got to realize that the average age, according to our society, is 67. You're gonna live to get to 67, maybe 70, not not counting the ones that go over that. Those are above the norm, but on average, 67 to 70 is what you're gonna live till. If you stop and put that in perspective and compare that to eternity, there's no comparison. So we're living. Let me even take it to this. Let let, let let's start with from 20 to 67. What was that? You, you, 20. Uh, that, that's 47. Let's go with fifty. We live for fifty years of our life, because the rest of it don't count, because you don't understand. So, so about fifty years on average, you're living where you know what you know, and you have intelligence, and you know how to please yourself. For about fifty years, you want to compare fifty years with eternity. You want to make decisions just for fifty years against eternity we got to think about that. Whatever we're trying to accomplish and do that's going to push God out of our life, that will not help us to get stronger in God, it comes down to 50 years of satisfaction getting things our way. And when you compare that to all eternity, guess what? It's not worth it. It's not worth it. we got to narrow this thing down and look at it a little bit differently and say, what is this all about Anyway. Even if I'm miserable for 50 years, isn't that God not going to make you miserable for 50 years? But even if I live for 50 years and be miserable, but guaranteed heaven, it's still worth it. It's still worth it, right? So why am I getting worked up? Why am I making these bad decisions? We got to lay aside the weights. We got to lay them aside. We do not struggle alone, and we are not the first to struggle with problems persecution, discouragement, even failure. Can I tell you the number one weapon that Satan used in your life? It's called discouragement. Discouragement is worse than sickness. That's Bible. When you get a chance, search that out. I'll give you some homework. Discouragement is worse than sickness. When you get discouraged, you want to be alone. When you get discouraged, you don't talk much. When you get discouraged, you stop believing this word. When you get discouraged, you stop praying. Discouragement is worse than sickness because you can sick, you can be sick and still be praying, still be worshiping, still be seeking God. When you get discouraged, you just done with everything. You don't want to talk. You don't want to go anywhere. You don't want to do anything. When you get discouraged, you understand that that's not from God. Discouragement is from the pit of hell. Don't be discouraged. People struggled before you, and you're going to struggle as well. So don't make it like, oh, it's me only that's going through this. Even sometimes you're going to fail. But understand, Peter failed. Peter was God's right-hand man. He denied Christ in a critical moment three times. You're going to fail. But don't get discouraged. Get back up and keep going. I keep saying this. You think God went through what he did just to condemn everybody? That mess up? You think he went to Calvary, carried his cross, was beaten, spat upon, was mocked and ashamed just so as soon as you mess up, I'm done with you. That's how we did. Do. I'm done with you. You think he went through all that and said, I'm done with you? He holding out all hope till the last minute. Come on. Come on. You can make it. That's what God is saying to all of us. Come on, you can make it. Don't get yourself down. Don't get yourself frustrated. Come on. You can make it. I don't want you to dwell on the things that you have done. I want you to look on me. I want you to focus on me. Come on, you can make it. Come on, you can make it. That's what God is saying to every one of us. Come on, you can make it. There is nothing that he can't deliver you from. There's nothing that you can't come out from. Come on, you can make it. He went through too much for you. Come on, you can make it. Forget about the naysayers. There's so many people that are so critical that are saying things uh, that I'm just like these people don't understand. Uh, The naysayers, people that criticize, people that say things about you and about what you have gone through. I want you to just forget about them because you never stop the thing. They're in worse shape than you when you get to a place where you're trying to seek God and people want to criticize what you have done or where you went or how things went in your life, they're worse off than you. Because what it means is they think they're okay and they're not. I like to know I'm not okay. And so when I'm looking to reach Christ, it means that I know I need to do better. But the ones that sit back and say, mm, You can do all you do. You ain't doing nothing because you ain't no good. You ain't right. They ain't right. People like to say, they ain't right. And people that saying they ain't right, pray for them. Because they're deceived, not understanding that by you criticizing someone, something is wrong with you. Remember, I dropped this in, and I'm going to be finished soon. I dropped this into my teaching Thursday night. Jesus never tells any of us anything negative about each other. I'm going to let that settle in. Whenever you say something negative to someone, that was you and the devil. You or the devil. It's not God. God is our father and we are his children. He is the only one that delves out discipline. Nobody else. Only daddy gives discipline in his house. Nobody else. And so for you to come against your brother or your sister or to criticize them, that's you. Or that's the devil working through you. It ain't God. So anytime you got something bad to say about somebody, it's you or the devil. It's not God. God is the one that takes care of his children. When you do wrong, your daddy will straighten you out. You and him will get it right. He will come and visit you and make sure you get it together. But he's not going to let me straighten you out. It's not my job. However, now, here's the one caveat. If I happen to prove myself mature to daddy, if I happen to prove myself faithful to daddy, he might send me to go help you get restored. Not criticize, to help you get, if I'm mature. If I'm loving him the way I need to love him, that he might send me to help you get restored. So when I, go, when I come to you, first of all, I'm not telling anybody about anything. I'm not criticizing you. When I come to you, I'm coming in love to help you get restored. That's the only time God will allow us to know anything negative about anybody. He will not tell an unspiritual, unfaithful person anything about any of his children. You can pray till you're blue in the face. He ain't right, God look at it and you can see how badly the person is behaving you can look and say look he just a mess god and god will still never tell you yeah he a mess god will never agree with you about somebody being a mess he will never agree with you he will hold his peace And you can just say it all you want. You can get riled up all you want, and God won't say a thing. Because God will never co-sign for you to go and attack anybody. He the dad, he is the father, he is the one that will delve out discipline. Not me and not you. The pastor don't give discipline. Yeah. pastor can't discipline nobody. God disciplines people. Please. We got to make sure we understand that God is trying to get us restored. God is trying to keep us. God is waiting for us to come at him. As we read this scripture and we go through, this is trying to get us to understand that being a Christian is like running a race. This Christian walk, you're in a race. The great thing about this race is you don't have to win the race. All you got to do is finish the race. Oh, I love Jesus. I don't have to win the race, Brother Barry. He don't want me to win. He says just finish the race. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. You don't have to get excited and, th- and take off running because it's a long race. And if you just take off running, oh, my Lord, you may want to slow it down because you need to go with pace. This race, you need stamina. This race, you need perseverance. But your Christian walk is a race. It's a marathon. And God wants us to know that if we would just finish. You ever seen... The Special Olympic race or just any race where somebody get hurt in the race and people run back and put their arms over them and help them get to the finish line. Everybody try to do all they can, pitch in, just to try to make sure everyone finish the race. We're going to finish our race. Somebody say, I'm going to finish this race. It doesn't matter what I'm going through right now. It doesn't matter what's going on in my life. It doesn't matter how much frustration. It doesn't matter. I know I'm not alone. This is not something new. It's always going on. There's a lot of believers that have gone through this situation, tough situation, and now they're in the presence of the Lord. And so if they made it, I know I can make it too. I'm going to finish my race. I'm going to finish my race. I'm going to keep running. I'm going to get up. I'm going to keep going. But I'm going to finish my race. Having faith will cause you to be faithful. Therefore, not having faith will cause you to be unfaithful. Our Christian walk, we got to realize that it's a race. There are three aspects, and here I am almost there. There are three aspects of this race that is set before us all as believers. There is preparation for the race, there is participation of the race, and there is persiv- pers- perseverance in the race. Participation, preparation, and perseverance. Preparation. Let's talk about that for one second. Preparation for the race. You, you got to repent. You're trying to prepare for the race? Repentance is in order. Asking God to forgive you, that's in order. You, you need to know that in order to prepare to get into this race, you're going to ask for forgiveness. You're going to repent of your sins. You're going to get baptized in Jesus' name. You've got to be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's preparation for the race. I wonder if anybody caught that. Most of us think that when we repent, we get baptized, we get the spirit, that we end the race. That's preparation for the race. There's a lot of people that got baptized, a lot of people talking in tongues, that they're not in the race. They're not in the race. Preparation is giving your life to God, repenting, baptism, and, and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. It puts you now... Ready to start the race. You're ready to run the race. I'm telling you that because I don't want you to come into the church, you get baptized, you repent, you get baptized, you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, and you stop right there. Because it means you never got off the starting line. It just means you prepared yourself to get in the race. You get in the race now when you start living every day, you're trying to live every day righteous, you try to live every day holy, you try to live every day in faith. That's you being in the race now. Now you're in the race. And then while you're in the race, you're going to have to overcome some things. You're going to have to persevere through some things because you're in the race now. But we got to get in the race. Somebody say, get in the race. We have to get in the race. So it says, let us lay aside every weight. As applied to Christians, it means that we should remove all which should obstruct our progress in this Christian race. When the scripture says, let us lay aside every weight, what it's saying is we gotta remove everything out of our life that will that, that will get into our way, that will that will hinder us from making it in this race. And so we can't allow the weights that is in our life to, to obstruct us from running this race. Whatever would be an impediment. In our efforts to win this race is a weight. Whatever is in your life that will hinder you from running this race, persevering in this race, it's a weight. All of us got some things in our life that will impede us in this race, and God sent me here today to tell you that we must. Lay aside the weights that is in our life that will impede us from moving forward. He said that we're stand at a standstill because there is weights in our life that we fail to take off and lay aside because we want to run this race with all the weights in our life. And God is telling us we can't run this race with all the weights that's in our life. We cannot persevere in this race with all the weights in our life. God wants us to lay aside. We got to lay aside the weights. We can't allow the things that are in our life to impede us in this race. We're being, we're being impeded by stuff in our life. God wants you to know today. That's what he told me to tell the church. He told me this two weeks to preach this today. He said, you gotta let them know to lay aside the weights. They're trying to serve me. They're trying to live for me, but they can't make it because there's weights. They're carrying loads in their life. They're carrying things that don't belong and they're trying to make it, but they can't because of the load because of the weight get the weights out of your life throw some stuff off throw some things to the side so you can walk this race with patience so you can make it you gotta throw some things off you gotta get rid of some things you can't make it without the weights the weights is weighing you down. The waste the waste is weighing us down. What is your weight today? I don't know what your weight is because your weights are not my weights, my weights are not yours, but there's weights in our life. <laughs> Oh, God, help us today. What is our weight? What is weighing us down? What is weighing us down? God even brought me to the place. He helped me to understand some of our weight is our comfort, Brother Scarlett. Some of the weights that we have, we think it's always something hard. But sometimes it's just our comfort. It's just because we want to be comfortable. It's just because we don't want to change. It's just because we want to be where we are. It's just because we want to do what we want it may not necessarily be something wrong and terrible, but it might just be, I don't want to change. I like my life the way it is. I want to be comfortable. I want to enjoy these things. But if it's a weight, if it's a weight, you got to get rid of it. My comfort is not something I'm willing to sacrifice, oh, for me to miss out on the crown of life. I can't allow any way to get the best of me. It doesn't matter how uncomfortable I may get. It doesn't matter the struggles I got to go through. I can't allow the weights of my life to weigh me down. In one of us, the weight that may be weighing you down is pride. In another person, it might be material goods. In another person, it may be addiction. In another person, it may be worldliness. In another person, it may be laziness. In another person, it may be jealousy. In another person, it may be success. In another person, it may be money. In another person, it may be unholy attachment. It could be anything. But if it's a weight, if it's in Repeating your life and living for God, you've got to remove and lay it aside because the weight, you can't make it with the weight in your life. God wants you to remove the weight. God is telling somebody today, you've got to remove the weight. Oh, God, help somebody today to recognize, to identify what the weights are in their life. Help them to identify what it is, Lord God. Stir them up right now, Lord God. Oh, God, move on them right now, Lord Jesus, that they will know what the weights are that is weighing them down, the things that is impeding their walk, Lord God, the things that prevent us from praying, the things that prevent us from worshiping, the things that prevent us, Lord God, from praising you, The things that prevent us from coming to church. The things that prevent us, Lord God, from doing right. I pray in the name of Jesus that, God, we will recognize the weight. And that, God, we will lay off the weight. We will put it to the side because it's impeding our walk. It's impeding our steps. We can't persevere in this race. We're not making it in this race. We can't go forward. Because of this weight, lay aside every weight every weight he didn't say lay aside that weight and that way he said every weight you can put it in another category says whatever weight that impedes you whatever it is lay it aside because god wants you to persevere he wants you to make it till the end he wants you to finish your course we all have to finish this course if we're gonna make it to heaven we gotta finish our course will you lay aside your weight today Will you stand with us? What is your weight? What is in your life that is impeding your walk with God? What is it in your life that you just can't give up? What is it that you're holding on to dearly? You might not think it's a weight, but if it's impeding your walk with God, it is a weight. If it's preventing you from moving forward in God, it's a weight. There is nothing in this world, nothing in this world, nothing in this world that is worth your eternal life. Nothing. Jesus says, What does it profit a man to lose his life and to gain the whole world? Not one soul not one soul should be lost for any reason. Your soul is more valuable than the whole world put together. All The gold that's in Fort Knox is not worth your soul. All the diamonds that are over in Africa are not worth your soul. All the money is not worth your soul. And so God wants to know will you lay aside today? Will you lay aside today? Oh, I feel